1: Hello and welcome back to another episode of Beyond the To-Do List. This is the show where we talk to the people behind the productivity. I'm your host, Eric Fisher. And this week, I get to talk with Claire Diaz-Ortiz yet again. Which is awesome because she was there very early in the beginning of the show. We figured out kind of there's a pattern going where every two years she comes back on the show. So this is her third time and... It's cool because she's putting on something that's really, really awesome. Beyond the slash work by design. You will be able to sign up for the free work by design summit, which is coming up soon. It is May 17th through 25th, and this is the number one online conference to change the way you work. It will help you to have a life of purpose, productivity, and profit. There will be 50 plus experts revealing their biggest secrets, including myself, and you can learn how to revolutionize your productivity and explode your business profits. Tons of people who have been on this show before joining in on this, like John Acuff, Laura Vanderkam, Chris Bailey, Allie Worthington, Andy Traub, Chris Locurto, Amy Lynn Andrews, Jeff Goines, Donald Miller, and of course herself, Claire Diaz-Ortiz. You don't want to miss this, trust me. Head on over to beyondthetodolist.com slash design. Get access to these experts that will inspire and teach you to level up your productivity and more. Don't miss it. May seventeenth through twenty-fifth. But you gotta sign up today, beyond the com slash work by design it is my privilege to welcome back a a third time person to the show. It's Claire Diaz-Ortiz. Welcome back, Claire.
0: Thank you. I almost said welcome right back (laughs) at you, which indicates that I'm not really listening.
1: Hello. (laughs) Hello. I have to first and foremost point something out that I don't think I had remembered until just recently when I knew you were coming back on the show, and it's this. When my show first started back in oh, late 2012, so like mm-hmm. almost four years ago now, you mm-hmm. somehow, and I don't know how, but you discovered my show, and you tweeted mm-hmm. out about it to your massive Twitter audience, like early in the like first 10-something episodes or so. Mm. And that I have to thank you for, because you, you sort of kick-started in some ways some of the suce- success that this show has seen. So first and foremost, publicly, I want to say thank you. And then you were then on episode 15. Way wow. back when. Yeah. Wow. So and that and that was the first time you came on. And you came on and you talked all about the present principle mm-hmm. and essentially what you're still talking about now with designing your day and making goals and everything, but it was that whole kick starting your day the right way and doing you know, starting your day the right way. And I'll put the link to that in the show notes, you know, if you've not people have not listened to that episode. But that was the mm-hmm. first time that you were on. And then the second time was another, was right before another momentous event in your life where you weren't planning on it, but then you had your daughter like a couple days after, which was funny. So that's
0: so funny. Yeah. So I remember so clearly finding your podcast and being like, wow, this was made for me a whole podcast (laughs) just about, you know, productivity and dealing with your to do list. And yeah. And I also remember being in uh, my old apartment when I was recording that first podcast. I have oh, like a yeah. vision of me. For some reason, I was seated on the floor because of some sort of sound issue. And I remember that.
1: <laughs> Very interesting. So you've come a long way. And and so have high. So is the show, in fact, in mm-hmm. the past, well, four years ish. And you're no longer working at Twitter. You've moved back to Argentina. You have a daughter, which is a whole other thing. Jeez. Mm-hmm. That's a whole other extra role. And Since you're such a productivity-minded person, and we're going to talk all about your new book, Design Your Day, Be More Productive, Set Better Goals, and Live Life on Purpose. But first off, I want to say, how did having a daughter, (laughs) a newborn, uh, what kind of catalyst was that for you in terms of creating this book? How did that play in?
0: Well, it's funny. I feel like there are sort of the things that it directly taught me, and then there are the things that I realized I had to kind of throw out the window when you have a small child or a small human in your life. And I remember reading a blog post at some point, you know, in the months after she was born that basically kind of, was a takedown of a lot of kind of those productivity guru experts out there who who laugh and tell you how how you really should start your day by you know not checking email and by making sure that you have you know a quiet hour to yourself and they tell you all these things and this blog post was basically saying that's all well and good but that is absolutely impossible if you have a young child that you are responsible for which is totally totally true and so I think that, you know, before we kind of get into the the nitty gritty of, of this book, Design Your Day and sort of some of the, the concepts in it, I would just say that it's pretty much irrelevant if you have like the early stage small child situation going on. I mean, these days I've got a two-year-old, we have more kind of flexibility. We also have a nanny, you know, so there's there's ways to craft um, a productive day with with children that aren't like 3 months old essentially.
1: So hmm. you're saying it's it's basically hard to be in anything but survival mode when you're when your task is to help a young one stay alive as well.
0: Yeah, and I think it's also destructive if you think that you are in anything but survival mode simply because then you kind of just make yourself feel bad about not getting things done when in reality that should absolutely not be your purpose. I mean, my purpose in life for I think the first, I would say the first six weeks after my first child was born, you know, I have one baby, so that's why I say first child because I think it might be different after your second or third, but my entire purpose in life for those first six weeks was basically to try to get as much sleep as possible and to hang out with her and to watch two or maybe three seasons of scandal i mean that was it <laughs> you know and that was fine because doing or aspiring to anything else would not have been possible and it just would have made me made me feel inadequate when i didn't need to feel that way i mean you've got a small baby you've you've got you've got a hard hard season ahead of you. And it's like that in other things. If you don't have small kids, there are other seasons of life, obviously, that are just as powerful where you've really got to really throw the to-do list out the window.
1: Exactly. Go beyond the to-do list even. Mm -hmm. There Mm -hmm. you go. Mm. I love it. Yeah. So I I just couldn't help but think about that and and knew that the next time we talked, I had to ask you that question since you were so productivity-minded and were going through that season for the first time. I know how that affected me, although I'm Different because I'm the guy and so I'm not like the incubator for nine months also. <laughs> how, how did that affect it? I guess we didn't touch on that when you were last on is like, what, what does productivity look like for the nine months prior to the birth?
0: Um, I think for me, it was it was that was actually a, a very, a very good time. It was, you know, they they say that a lot of women go through these feelings of sort of nesting where you spend a lot of time at home sort of preparing for the birth, particularly when it's your first first baby. And I think I definitely felt that I had lots of time to myself, lots of time to, essentially do all the things I wanted to do exactly as I wanted to do them. So, you know, getting work done, having powerful morning times and, you know, powerful times of meditation and reading and that sort of stuff. So I think that was great. But, you know, and it's been great in the last few years since. It's just been different.
1: Yes. Moving away from that topic, I guess what we'd say to kind of close that out is that if your your full-time job or even a big chunk of your time involves – caring for someone else, you may have to look closer at the productivity uh instructions or advice or guidance you're given and just throw it out the window.
2: Mm-hmm. Because it,
1: it, it's not, as we'll get to later, as part of SMART goals, it's not relevant right now. Mm-hmm. You have to lower your expectations. You can still set goals, but mm-hmm. <laughs> you got to make them relevant. So yep. other than just being so productivity minded, what else drew you to creating this specific book, this work?
0: So this book was really something that I think I've, you know, I've written, gosh, I think it's six books now. And this one, I feel like was one that I had sort of incubating for for many years. And it really started when I was in Silicon Valley and sort of seeing what it was like to work for someone else. You know, before I became an early employee at Twitter, I was um, kind of a social entrepreneur in Africa and I was doing my own thing and reporting to myself. And then all of a sudden I was thrown inside an organization, which I hadn't been in before. And at first it was small, but then the organization grew and grew. And around me, I just saw incredible kind of inefficiencies happening. And I felt like this was a little bit... Um, surprising. You know, a lot of people point to companies like Twitter or Google or Facebook as being sort of on the forefront of innovation. You know, they've got these great open offices and this awesome food that, you know, should encourage you to, to work more and stay in your office all day. And these, you know, like organic free trade coffee, you know, all this stuff that is supposed to create an awesome environment for you to work in. But in reality, there's so, so You know, much inefficiency at play. And I think that's what I really started to see more and more around me was, wow, this kind of environment really isn't working for most of the people here. And so that's sort of when I began to kind of play with some of these ideas and certainly do lots of research and talk to, to many, many a, um, an expert in the field of productivity and read and read books and just kind of immerse myself in this. In this world, to see, you know, to understand what could be different,
1: and and so that pain point would essentially just be: look, we're we still think we've got it all together, but you're seeing so many people that just don't in all different walks of life. I mean, the entrepreneurial side of things, the solo stuff, the people working in large, you know, organizations. You've been in both worlds, so,
0: and I think that you know there are similar lessons, there are similar pain points in different in these diverse worlds. But then there are also things that are very specific to these diverse worlds. Mm-hmm. And so that's been also interesting to see as I've kind of gone through different stages of my career in very different types of, you know, organizations or solo work.
1: Yeah. I, I love the fact that you've got it broken out in the book the way that you do with the do and then the less or, mm-hmm. or organize and then less, I should say. Well, anyway, let's get into that. I, I, I love that, especially in the intro, this this metaphor or object lesson. I saw it first as an object lesson. I'm talking about the, the two jars and the, the big rocks and the small rocks. And if you've never seen this, it's that you've got two jars and you, and one of them, you put the small rocks in first and then you try to fit the big ones in and they don't fit. But where if you do it the other way around, the big rocks fit in and then you can fit all these small rocks in also. I think I've seen one also where it's like you pour water in afterwards. I don't mm-hmm. know. Anyway, mm-hmm. I've seen. I always have. I mean, I've seen it like live. Somebody actually demonstrating it live, and I always see that in my mind when anybody ever brings that up. But it it all comes down to priorities and, and making your priorities your priorities. We often say we have them, but we don't actually live by them. So absolutely. You jump right in and it's you know, you know, you're talking about well, decide, deciding what to do. And then the second half of the book talking about organizing. So let's break this down a little bit. I love that you start off by talking about choosing a word that re- to represent the year in front of you. Um I just had a recent episode where I, we talked about a bunch of different approaches to starting the new year and that doesn't even have to be like at the beginning of the calendar year, but it's about you know it was about words and rules and I know Chris Brogan does three words you've you've chosen one talk a little bit more about that like why why just one word why, what has your uh, experience been with this choosing a word for a year thing you've been doing it for a while now
0: sure so I mean to kind of give a macro sense of of what this book is and how it's organized is it's all organized around this framework that I call do less. Um, It's an acronym. Um, I love acronyms. And, you know, the D is for decide, the O is for organize. And essentially, when we start with the D, we start with deciding what's important. And I think there are a few different ways to kind of decide what's most important in your life before you even get into this idea of how to be productive or how to work better. And the reason for that, of course, is you're not going to work better if you don't have a sense of where you want to be going and what matters to you. So for me really the first step in deciding what's important is often coming up with this idea of a word of the year and you you what you said is spot on. It doesn't have to be, you know, something you do on January 1st. It can be at any point throughout the year. It can even be a word for your season. But it's essentially one word to help direct and guide you and remind you of what you're really valuing in this time of life. So many people come up with pretty different words. You know, I, the first year I did this and the reason that I kind of needed to do it, I I read about the idea in a book about six years ago and it just resonated with me because I was in such a season of busy and I really needed to slow down. And so that year, my, my year was rest and I've had some, some different words over the years, but a lot of people, you know, come up with sort of powerful, powerful verbs, things like streamline and focus and flow. And then sometimes people come up with nouns and even pronouns, which I think are interesting. I was talking to someone recently and his word of the year is Adam, which is the name of his son, right? So these can be different things. The idea though is what is that sort of overarching priority that ultimately when you then go to set your annual or seasonal goals, they should all sort of sneak up into, latch up into.
2: Dot com slash to-do list right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash to-do list. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
0: If you enjoy Beyond the To-Do List, I invite you to check out Best Laid Plans. I'm Sarah Hart Unger, the host of Best Laid Plans, a podcast devoted to all things planning and planning adjacent. I talk about everything from paper planner reviews to deep dives into all things productivity from keeping track of goals and tasks to fitting in your true priorities and reducing the stress around planning and organizing across different areas of life. I am a practicing physician and mother of three, so I have a lot going on in my own life and am intimately familiar with the time constraints that impact us all. And I love sharing my own productivity strategies and learning from others who have their own ideas to share. I invite you to check out Best Laid Plans, available on all podcast platforms, or visit my website, theshoebox.com, dot
1: com to learn more. So if it was like a mind map, that would be the center. The word would be that center focus and they would all kind of stem off of that.
0: Absolutely. So if, you know, Adam, let's say Adam was my word of the year. Let's say Adam is my son and that's my word of the year. Then my annual goals should probably not all be about, you know, increasing the revenue in my small business, right? Because those two things do not potentially have a lot to do with each other. So you want to make sure that the word of the year is really encompassing all those annual or seasonal goals that you're going to come up with.
1: I hear people right now thinking, oh, that's a good idea. Wait, how do I find the right word for me for the year or for this season I'm in?
0: So I actually think it's a pretty organic process. There's not a lot of do's and don'ts when you go about doing it, essentially. I think the big thing is just to give yourself time. I usually give myself pretty much the whole month of December to come up with a word for January 1st. Again, you could do this at any time of the year. Usually there are a few themes that are already popping out to me. So slowing down was a theme for me for a few years. And so a few different words that kind of conveyed that idea were sort of top of mind. And I rolled them around on my tongue for a month and then by the end of the month kind of decided on one. Um, but a lot of times people inherently know some of those themes that are really important to them. And you might have a few, you probably will have a few. And so then the goal is just over over the month or over the course of a few weeks to just sort of see what rises to the surface as as really the most important. So for me for 2016, for example, this year was was really my year about kind of working with intention. And I had, you know, transitioned away from Twitter about a year and a half ago, and I had made some not good choices in in the time right after I left. And this was really my year of kind of being intentional about the work I was going to be doing, uh, because I, I wasn't proud of some of the choices I had made since leaving Twitter. And so I wanted to really be intentional. And so I came up with essentially a phrase, which is my 2016, you know, word of the year, and it's work by design. So it's basically, I want to, I want to design a work life that, that I love and that is authentic to me.
1: That's awesome. I love that that phrase there, "Work by design." In fact, mm-hmm. I think that'll come back up a little bit later. I um, think it will. <laughs> so say we discover, and, and the thing is is not to think of this like it's homework, you know, oh my gosh, I've got to I must find my word." No, I mean, it shouldn't be I, I think if you're thinking about where you are right now and where you're wanting to go. Even just subconsciously, which you probably already are, by the way, that word is going to drift towards the top of your mind in a lot of different things that you're, you find you're thinking about. I think that's one of the ways that, that at least I kind of get an inkling of what some of the words that I would choose from would be.
0: Yes, absolutely. I think many of us kind of have a sense already of what they might be. And that doesn't mean you know the word, but you kind of have a sense of some of those themes. And as soon as you sort of play them around in your in your head and in your mind, you start to think, what do I really want to focus on, right? Because you know the themes that are already in your life, but this is about being intentional about which one do I want to really care about and invest in in the year to come.
1: Well, and so then once we have that word and we've got that, you know, that center circle, if, if we're talking about a mind map, some people think visually. The next step is to then to, to come at it and decide next. The next step in deciding is what are the goals? What are we going to decide to start making the, the, you know, the next steps? What are we aiming at? In other words, and you talk all about, uh, brainstorming, which I love because it's part simmering. It's part ideation. It's part capturing. It's very, it's very GTD, David Allen, to me, (laughs) Mm -hmm. like the brain dump, because that's for me is like, hey, if I was going to, if I suddenly knew what my word was, then I would suddenly say, okay, I'm going to go to the coffee shop, sit down, get a coffee, have a pad and a pen and do it analog and just write everything that was on my mind and start like capturing and saying, okay, even if I'm not going to do all these things, I want to clear my head and try to see what aligns with that word. Absolutely.
0: So this is all about figuring out your goals for, for the year ahead or, or for the season. And the way I do it and this idea of coming up with a smart goal is, is just an acronym that it means a goal that is specific, measurable, actionable, relevant, and timely. And so these are the types of goals that you want to sort of come up with and ultimately, you know, go from a list of a bunch of ideas of things that might be goals to, a you know coherent list of some goals, a handful of goals that you can really focus on that all fit within your word of the year.
1: what's that process look like in terms of translating this big bucket of dreams or goals or idea what we think are goals at least and ideas how do we take all these things coming into the top of the funnel and process them through to the point where they are smart goals?
0: So I think the biggest distinction is to think about if something is really a dream or if it's a goal. Um, A lot of us have... Goals that might be pretty long range or things that really might be happening in 15 to 20 years or maybe five to eight years. And I would put those more in the categories of, of dreams or or even goals, but just not goals for this year. And so the easiest way to start weeding out a list. So you're going to go in, you're going to brainstorm a list of all the things that you want to do, right? Ideally, things you want to do in this year, but a lot of other stuff is going to come out. You're going to come up with sort of big ideas that are more long range than that. You're going have this big list and then you're going to say, okay, how can I winnow this down to things that are really relevant for the year or the season ahead? And so you do that by just thinking about what is a SMART goal. So what is specific, right? So a goal like I want to read more is is not actually a SMART goal. A specific goal is saying I want to read 10 books this year. Um, you want to look for goals that are measurable. So you want to be able to, to mark your progress against a goal. In the example of reading, you can easily sort of count how many books you're reading or over the course of a year but there are lots of other goals that that don't have numbers associated with them you know one example would be if one of your goals is to have a, a family vacation you still can make sure that it's measurable because you can say hey if we're going to have a summer vacation in august i need to make sure that i am doing X thing by March and Y thing by April and I need to be really booking those tickets by May or whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. So then you look for goals that are actionable also. So things that you can actually take action on. Sometimes we come up with things that are more kind of aspirational that we don't really have control over. And so we want to make sure that we're choosing things that, that we can take action on and that we have some ownership over. Um, and then you want to pick goals that are relevant for your time of life. So I've, I have had a goal for many years to read this crazy number of books. Some years it's been 200, some years it's been 150. And, you know, the year I had a baby was obviously not the year to set a goal for reading 200 books, right? So you want your goals to be relevant to the year ahead, Um, and, and finally you want them to be timely. So you want them to be goals that are right for, for the exact year you're in. So that's kind of the idea of how you go from taking this big list into actually a smaller list of, of goals. And the way I do it is I have specific categories. So I have about six categories and then I put my goals into each of those categories. So, you know, typical category might be family, might be work, might be finances, uh, you know, might be spirituality, might be health. People have different categories, but basically coming up with a handful of categories is, is an easy way to sort of slot in your goals into that to make sure you're, you're focusing on all aspects of your life and, and not just sort of one area.
1: Interesting. And so the theme... No, sorry, categories. Although they are kind of themes too, I guess. I don't know. The yeah. terminology is kind of not necessary. Just it's
0: fluid. <laughs> yes,
1: exactly. So if we go back to that whole mind map thing, like if you've got your word and that's the center circle, then stemming off of those would be each of these categories. And then from there, you can stem off the specific goals if you want to.
0: Yep. Perfect. So, so if you've got this big list of stuff and you see you know, all these potential goals and then you realize, oh, you really want this, this theme of health to be important, but you don't have any goals in it, then, you know, you want to come up with something in there. So category sort of helps to helps to visualize it and helps to organize it.
1: And I think this is a good, uh, a good framework to run all these ideas through because maybe it is specific, but then maybe, and maybe it is mem- measurable. Maybe it's even actionable because you know what the next steps would be, but it's not relevant. So, you know, that's out. Yep. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, and so it, it may bump up against, you know, one of these five and maybe in the process of thinking about it and doing the, the investigative research on whether this is the right idea to become a goal that you'll decide, well, that's not one that's timely or relevant or, or even actionable, but you'll set it aside. And then you've got something that's been already worked through to a certain extent that you can then easily grab if seasons change. Absolutely. Switching to the second half of the book where you're talking about organizing the you know it do it's decide and we've covered that but organize, you break organize up into another acronym <laughs> called less where mm-hmm. you talk about limiting, editing, uh, streamlining and stopping when I saw the word edit. I had to think, oh, Ellie Worthington breaking busy. She was just on the show oh. a few months ago
2: yeah. talking
1: about that and the whole you know, edit was like this big big thing that she found people resonated mm-hmm. with in in that mm-hmm. book. So, I'll put the link to that interview in the show notes too. But you are taking this idea that wait a second, we you need to do less. And I think lots of people struggle with that because they want to do more. They want to get more done. They don't want to do less. What do you say to people that are like, well, I want to get more done, not less? Why are you saying that?
0: So, I mean, there are a few different ways to look at this. One of the ways really drives back to or harkens back to this amazing book by Greg McKeown called Essentialism and – Greg has, you know, just been a great, great teacher to me. And I've been doing this sort of year-long process with him of trying to really become more of an essentialist in my own life. And it has been incredibly valuable. If you haven't read the book Essentialism, go pick it up. But, you know, one of the ideas here about – kind of doing less is that we do so many things and we try to do so many things that we actually do a lot of the things in our life really badly, right? So trying to, on a macro level, reduce what we even attempt to do will give us more success at those few things that we do do. And so within this acronym, L-E-S-S, you know, the first – the first idea here is really limiting the work you do, um, and I take folks in the book through an exercise that basically has you identify all the things you do on a daily basis in your in your personal and in your work life. You're going to come up with a big list of maybe 50 things that you regularly do. Things like you know cook breakfast, and things like spend time with my daughter Lucia, or you know things like do podcast interviews. Right? You're going to come up with a big list of things. And then, what you're going to do in this exercise is you're then going to come up with a list of, of, of your big wins. So those things in the last year that have really, really contributed to your happiness, that have contributed to your bottom line, you know, that have uh, made your your work life feel fulfilled, whatever it is that you consider your big win. And basically what you're trying to do here is you're trying to figure out what your best 20% activities are, right? So there's this idea, Pareto's principle, um, that basically, or, or the 80-20 rule, which is that, you know, of of the work and effort you put into something really only reaps 20% of of the rewards, essentially. And the converse, which is really exciting, is that 20% of what you do reaps 80% of the rewards, right? So we're trying to find what that best 20% is in our own life, and we're trying to do more of those things and spend more time on those things because we know those things are really contributing to 80% of our success. So this exercise helps you identify that. And that's really this first step, which is limiting the work you do. And then the next thing you get to is E, which is editing down. And editing down is is about taking away a lot of the stuff that you don't need to do and then also realizing that... Editing down the time you allow for work is actually a positive thing. So <laughs> there's um, another, another sort of law or, or rule called Parkinson's law, which basically says that work expands or contracts to the time that we give it. And so a classic example, I always say, is is packing a suitcase. If I give myself an hour to pack a suitcase for a quick trip, it will take me an hour. If I give myself 20 minutes, it will take me 20 minutes. And we can see this in a lot of the work we do. And so editing down the time you spend on your work, whether it's You know, spending 20 minutes on, on a memo that could have taken you two hours, or whether it's spending five hours in your email this week instead of 15, editing down the time you spend will, will force you to focus and force you to do, do your work quicker. So, so those are the first two steps in limit and edit.
1: One of the things that I really, uh, that resonated with me and I really started to go down the rabbit trail with in a good way was the idea that you brought out from Chris Ducker, who has been on the show also before. And, uh, I have actually just saw him last week. He talks about the, you know, writing down the big wins and then the activities and then the rubric of the idea that, you know, writing down the things only you can do that someone else can do and that you should stop doing. And mm-hmm. I love how you kind of then do a Venn diagram kind of thing where you cross over uh, the big wins with those three things, the mm-hmm. can do, uh, someone else can do or stop doing, and then also cross that over with activities and just the different combinations that you get with that and what that out, what that then says about what you've done with your time and what you need to be doing with your time.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And Chris is, Chris is, um, very big on this idea of hiring outside, outside help and support. And so he's, he's, you know, got a, got a great sort of framework for thinking about what are those things that someone else can really be doing for you.
1: What are some of those things you've discovered about yourself working through this process?
0: Oh, I mean, it's been, you know, incredibly illuminating. It's, it's, you know, it's really a process of discovering what you're good at and what your real strengths are. And, you know, it's funny, it's like, I think it's very easy for people to say, well, no one's strength is doing email, but that's not actually true. I mean, some people are very detail oriented, and actually really thrive off of sort of organizing details and, and making sure things are sort of picture perfect in that way. I'm not one of those people. So I find that, you know, emailing, scheduling, a lot of stuff like that is absolutely not within my, within my zone of genius, as they like to say. Um, On the other hand, creating content is something I really enjoy doing. Um, A lot of people don't like writing or they write really slowly. I'm, I'm not that way. I really enjoy writing. And when I'm focused, I can get a lot of content out in a relatively short period of time. And I see that as really a strength of mine. So, you know, you do this process and it's not like you do it once and never do it again. You instead do this process and then you sort of keep doing this process and keep it top of mind. Every time you're trying to do a new thing, you also think about, is this the type of thing I want to be doing and could be good at? Or is this the type of thing that it's not worth spending time trying to master?
1: Yeah, I kind of think of it as, you know, rotating your tires or recalibrating your steering. You can go so long on a path, but eventually you've got to swap stuff out and move it around and make sure that it still works for now. And that you're not going to crash. (laughs)
0: Right. Right, absolutely.
1: So, well, and then the whole, I, the whole thing that you're working towards with this book is that what you do, you do it by design. It's in, it's, you know, it's the first word in the book. It's also the first word of this thing that, or this, the last word actually of this other thing that you have coming up, which is work by design, a summit. Let's talk about that a little bit.
0: Sure. So essentially I've, I've brought together an amazing number of really awesome speakers in what we're calling the Work by Design Summit. And it's a summit that really focuses on sort of three phases of of people's work life. Um, one of those is purpose. One of them is productivity and one of them is profit. And so we've got incredible speakers, folks like Don Miller and Adam Grant and Chris Dillabo and Dale Partridge and Pam Slim and just all these awesome people coming to talk about these three ideas. The idea is really to take your work to the next level. I like to talk about productivity, but people think productivity is is kind of a boring, dry word. Um, And I want it to be inspiring because I want this to be about creating an intentional work life essentially. So, you know, the summit is is free for folks to come and come and watch these awesome interviews to your heart's content. And yeah, we're really excited about it.
1: Yeah. Well, and so I'll throw in I'm I'm actually honored to be part of the speaker set. <laughs> Woo hoo. So <laughs> I so yeah, when they reached out to me, I was like, Oh, that I'm in. I didn't even have to think about it that that hard. Mm-hmm. And my default is usually a no. Well, but I'm so grateful. I knew that you were doing something awesome with this, so I was in right away. Well,
0: I'm so grateful. And I you have so much value to add in the the space of productivity. So I'm really, really excited about it.
1: Yeah, thank you. I'm looking forward to it. So it's coming up. uh, This this episode will be out in time that you will be able to if it's before May 16th through 25th. That's right, right?
0: Yep, yes. that's right.
1: May sixteenth through twenty fifth, and I will put the links in the show notes for this episode, as well as I will say it in the pre and post, uh, in and out of the episode. Claire, it's been awesome to talk with you again. Let's make it uh, sooner rather than later.
0: <laughs> yeah, let's let's not wait till I have another baby. Right? Yes.
1: <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Thanks for being on the show.
0: Thank you, Eric.
1: Wasn't that an awesome conversation? I'm just thrilled to have been able to talk with Claire yet again and am even more thrilled to be included in the 50-plus people who are part of the Work by Design Summit. Please don't miss this. It is free. You've got to go sign up, though, immediately so you are on it to get in between May 17th through the 25th for the 50-plus people Again, people that have been on this show before with brand new wisdom and experience and tactical information. People like John Acuff, Laura Vanderkam, Chris Bailey, Allie Worthington, Andy Traub, Chris Licurto, Amy Lynn Andrews, Jeff Goins, Donald Miller, and of course Claire, who you just heard on this show. Sign up immediately so you get in before it happens. It's May 17th through may 25th the link again is beyond the to-do list.com slash work by design that is your call to action put this phone down or better yet pick it up and open your browser type in that url go over and sign up it is beyond the to-do list.com slash work by design there i've said it too many times you have no excuse not to go sign up seriously go once you've signed up let me know because I look forward to seeing you there. Thanks again for listening to this episode. I'll see you next time.